My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. The thing about a brand association, even a really positive one, is that it can be tough to change. When you ask a Canadian about the Green Party and what it stands for, 90% of the time you get one answer, the environment. And, I mean, considering how much more dire the climate crisis gets every year and how many more people are ranking it as one of their top voting issues, that's probably a good thing for people to know you stand for. But is that one issue, alone, enough to give you an electoral breakthrough? See, one key issue is enough for some incremental gains, and the Greens have seen those in recent years. But it might be tough for a party known for just one thing to start winning over wide swaths of Canadian voters who care about a huge variety of issues. So where does the Green Party go from here? It has a new leader, and that's a historic accomplishment in itself. That new leader has a by-election tonight to see if she'll be going to Ottawa, and then win or lose, she'll be charged with creating the next iteration of the party. And for better or for worse, it needs an identity beyond the Environment Party. So what does she plan to do about that? We're going to ask her. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Annami Paul is the new leader of the Federal Green Party of Canada. She joins us now. Hello, Ms. Paul. Hello. I want to ask you, um, because the vote is tonight, uh, and you've you've spoken about this, do you think there should be a vote tonight? Well, I, I said it um, near the beginning, not right at the beginning, but certainly once we'd headed back into stage two, that these were not the conditions for a fair, accessible, and democratic election. We had been told that to stay inside, we've still been told to remain inside as much as possible, uh, avoid contact with anyone outside of our immediate household. And one of the best things we've done during this period is to actually respect and observe uh, what public health authorities are telling us. So um, that's really, it was disappointing uh, to have to have an election under these circumstances. It wasn't necessary. Um, but we're here. Here we are. How have you been campaigning uh, over the last few weeks in, in the riding? Because uh, I imagine it's very different from uh, years past. It is very different and mostly not in good ways. Uh, you know, to, I would say there are two parts to, to a, a really democratic election. The first is getting to know your candidates. Um, the second is voting. Um, so in terms of getting to know your candidates, I mean, we haven't been able to, we don't have a physical office uh, because, you know, that's not safe. And uh, we have not done any door knocking because that's not responsible. And so we have had to do things very differently. You know, we've um, done a lot more social media, uh, a lot more advertising uh, in local newspapers. Um, of course, a lot of phoning. Um, I've been trying to get as many um, as many um, media um, interested in the campaign as possible. But you know, none of that really substitutes for that uh, one-to-one in-person contact. Uh, that really is the you know the the, the retail politics of running in, in an election. 
I want to ask you a little bit uh, during this interview about, you know, your vision for the party and and how you feel the party is seen by Canadians and and what should or, or shouldn't change about that. So I guess I'll begin by asking you, do you remember the first time that you became aware uh, of the Green Party politically and and how you saw it and how it was seen then by Canadians? I think I became aware of the Green Party in the 2000s. Um, I would say that it's, it, you know, as let's say aware, but not aware, <laughs> if you know what I mean. You know, my eyes were fully opened, I would say, during my years living abroad in the 2000s uh, when I saw green parties emerging and becoming real a real force in lots of different countries. I was very interested to know the reasons why people had chosen finally to vote for the Green Party. I became really interested in their model. And when I was coming back to Canada, I, I knew I wanted to join a political party. Um, I wanted to be involved in that kind of collective action. And uh, I looked at the Green Party very obviously very, very uh, carefully because it seemed, um, based on what I had seen abroad, that it was going to be the one most aligned with, uh, with my values and with the way that I think politics should be done. What did you see in the Green Parties abroad uh, that you either didn't see or, or wanted to see uh, in the party when you came back to Canada? I, I would say that I wasn't so much, it wasn't so much a comparative thing as I just saw a lot of good stuff. You know, I saw... Uh, diversity party politics in uh, in uh, Europe tends to still be extremely white. Uh, and where there was more diversity, it was usually coming from the Green parties. Uh, you know, there was a Green uh, member of the UK Parliament uh, who was a Somali refugee and he was representing the UK. Um, there were Turkish people um, with um, elected positions in Germany. And so that was really exciting to me, seeing that diversity of perspectives that the Green Party was bringing. Uh, I found that uh, governments that had uh, Green Party um, partners uh, were more collaborative, um, much more focused on people and far less partisan. And so those were things that, you know, just in general, um, in Canadian politics, I thought all of those things are missing and all of those things would be great. And so it seemed to me that there was they had struck on a model that um, that brought good things to life, you know. So we're like uh, five minutes into this interview so far, and we're talking about the Green Party, and we haven't said the words the environment yet. <laughs> and I think that, you know, you can dispute this if you want, but, uh, you know, a vast majority of Canadians would respond with the environment if you ask them uh, what the Green Party stands for most. And so what I want to know from you is, first of all, are you happy about that, that association, and uh, how do you move beyond it? I'm absolutely happy with that association. Uh, there is no question, nothing has changed. Uh, the climate is in crisis. You know, we have a climate crisis, a climate emergency. The, the pandemic has uh, not changed that. And uh, I, I say that we can't forget about the climate emergency because it hasn't forgotten about us, that's for sure. And so to have a party that continues uh, to make sure that um, we're advancing knowledge in the area, that we're developing innovative policy, um, and that we're making, uh, you know, that we're making sure that we continue to push towards reducing our greenhouse gases is very, very important, and will always remain important until we succeed. Um, that being said, this is a moment where it's clear that people are taking a look at the Green Party because of its social policies. 
um, many of the things uh, that we were talking about exactly this time last year. You know, we we had an election um, on October the 21st last year, we're at the 23rd, so it's been just a year. And the last election in Toronto Centre, I was talking about universal pharmacare, universal post-secondary education, decriminalizing um, illicit drugs and creating a safe supply, affordable housing, a guaranteed livable income. And uh, had we had those things in place during the pandemic, we would have been safer. Um, we would have been more resilient. And so, yes, I think we have a moment now with a new leader to have a new conversation with people in Canada about, yes, always the environment and the climate, but also about our progressive so, uh, social policies as well. How do you get that message out there and really break through uh, the branding of the party as as the party of the environment, which like, you know, to your point, is a good thing um, in, in your mind. But uh, how do you make sure that when people talk about the Green Party, they're also talking about the other things? Uh, repetition. <laughs> you just say those things over and over and over again. And I'm I'm the chief spokesperson for the party and our members. And so that's going to be a big part of my job. And there is no question, you know, because I um, am extremely rare in politics and in, in many ways, uh, we've only had five women uh, ever to lead a major political party, to be elected to lead a major political party in Canada. I'm the first woman of color. I'm the first um, Black person. I'm the first Jewish woman. And so those things are conversation starters. And because of the, the history, the legacy, and the ongoing challenges uh, that I face, given some of those identities, people intuitively and immediately understand that, of course, I'm going to care about social policy issues. Of course, I'm going to have very um, strong opinions about um you know, the direction of our, you know, our social safety net and whether we're going to complete it. And so if I must feel this way, probably the members of my party feel the same way too. So it is a conversation starter. That's a really good point. I hadn't uh, thought about that. I was going to ask you about, uh, you know, all the history you've made and and whether or not uh, Canada should be incredibly proud uh, of your election or or shamed that it's taken us this long to have a woman of color leading uh, a federal party. We should be uh, proud and thankful that we still have a, a party in Canadian politics that is unafraid to uh, be the first. You know, this is yet another first for a party who's had lots. You know, we were the same ones, to call, first ones to call for equal marriage, first ones to call for um, decriminalization of cannabis. You know, for, I mean, on and on. There are a lot of firsts. We're a party first. And this is just one more. And we should feel thankful because... Having someone like me in a position like this means that um, more diversity is going to be attracted to politics. And in a country as diverse as ours and in um, a time when we need access to the best uh, intellectual talent, it is only good news uh, that, um, that you know, it's easier today than it was yesterday to uh, attract that talent. Um, but it is really too bad that I'm, I, I still represent so many firsts, you know, and you know, regardless of what some of our premiers say, um, regardless of what some of our political leadership says, um, systemic discrimination is real. The barriers to inclusion and participation are real. And otherwise, you know, we would see more diversity in our political life. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. 
I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Uh, Regardless of what happens in the election tonight, you'll be leading this party into the next federal election. Um, And and we've seen, I guess, over the past few years, some some gains for the Greens, both federally and and in a few of the provinces. Um, But we always seem to be talking about uh, a breakthrough and, and how this party can break through. What does that look like realistically in the next election? If you're sitting here and, and, you know, looking back at the next campaign and what you achieved and you feel like we really made a breakthrough, what what has the Green Party done? Our objective is always to win seats, just, you know, win seats and as many as we can. Our job, my job is to help us to win more seats. So um, looking, you know, looking forward to the next election, we um, and then looking, let's say, past it. Um, you know, the success will look like like more Greens um, winning more seats. There are other measures depending on where you're starting from. You know, if, we're, if you're talking about Alberta, you know, we always want to see our um, vote share increasing. But that being said, Alberta is a place I want to win seats in because, you know, Alberta is somewhere that my brother up until recently, you know, he'd spent years out there. Uh, working um, in the oil patch and working on road crews. And, uh, you know, he and the people that he works has, has worked with, they're tired of the boom and bust. Um, they've had irresponsible leadership that hasn't diversified their economy. And most of the most exciting things of what we are saying about um, a green economy apply most directly to uh, people who live out in um, Alberta and the prairies and Newfoundland, you know. So we're looking to win votes uh, everywhere. We're looking to win seats everywhere. How do you snap uh, voters out of the complacency of choosing the liberals or choosing the conservatives, especially during the pandemic? A lot of things are in flux. People are scared and worried. And there's a tendency to stick with what seems to be working okay right now, uh, rather than make a big decision to choose something new that might seem like a risk. Uh, Well, we're up in the polls. Uh, and you're right, people, when uh, when they're in an emergency situation, they almost always reward the government that they feel has um, helped to guide them through that emergency situation. But at the same time, the pandemic is, is of another order. It's a really transformer- uh, transformational change. Um, it's, you know, at, at every level, economically, socially, it has really profoundly changed things and permanently changed things. I believe that people will uh, look around and say, who got us into this situation and why weren't we better protected? Um, and they'll realize that if they want something different, and they've said in the polls, speaking of polls, they have actually said, we don't want to go back to the way things were, which is which is very surprising because normally people, you know, crave um, stability and return to, you know, what they've known. But they've said, no, that wasn't good enough. And I think they'll realize that if it's not good enough and if they want something different, they need to make different uh, choices. And um, this is where Greens have made breakthroughs in other countries. Uh, when there's been a big enough disruption for people to say, enough of that, we're definitely trying something different. Something different has got to be better than than this. Can you give me an example of uh, one of those situations in other countries that tilted things towards the Greens? Oh, all over. I mean, in Europe, um, in their municipal elections, I think it's one to two months ago, no more than two months ago, um, Green swept all the municipal elections. Um, exactly, you know, and they're in they're in the pandemic. In the uh, um, European Parliament, 
Uh, Greens have the balance of power, and it's because, and this was coincided with the timing of the the realization, you know, the light bulb going on in terms of a climate emergency. You know, so in, in other countries, it's been economic uh, disruption. You know, in the case of uh, in the case of Germany, um, you know, that's been part of the equation as well. And so there is always um, some kind of either domestic or global disruption uh, that accompanies um, green breakthroughs. We, I believe, and I believe our members believe uh, that um, we're at a similar moment here. Um, our party is has is has been proven to have the policies that were needed for this moment. You know, just proven. And the other parties have, and, and they're very welcome. Just to stress, you know, these ideas are so critical uh, to the future of our country. We're not looking to be partisan about it. If the NDP now wants to join us in calling for a guaranteed livable income, um, the NDP wants, sorry, the Liberals want to do the same. If um, they both want to join us in calling for a safe supply, then we would love to work with them on that. But it's important to remember where the ideas came from, who was pushing them when no one else was, and uh, you know who helped to uh, get us to the point where we might be ready to adopt some of these ideas soon. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of the last things that I wanted to touch on is, you know, we saw in Ottawa last week the Liberals and Conservatives play a little brinksmanship with the possibility of an election this fall. Uh, and ultimately, there was no election. Uh, the NDP and the Green Party sided with the Liberals and kept the government in power. But how do you balance trying to hold the Liberals to account on all the things that you've mentioned, but also keep in mind, uh, you know, as you said at the beginning of this interview, that an election going to the polls can feel really unnecessary and for some Canadians unsafe in the middle of a pandemic. So how do you approach that given that, you know, this might happen again? It's it's really not easy. You know, it's really not easy. And and uh, it occurred to me I, um, that these are the kind of things that, uh, that people in the States have had to navigate under the um, the, the current uh, um, um, president and his administration, which is constantly having uh, the rule book, the rules of the game uh, just being changed on the fly, and in some cases just thrown out altogether. Uh, what we saw the liberals do was something that was unprecedented. They they really weaponized uh, the confidence vote. You know, they utilized it in a way that it was never meant to be uh, used um, and left uh, parties like ours uh, in the position of, of choosing something that was going to be incredibly damaging, um, incredibly uh, inappropriate at this time, uh, or quote unquote voting with them. And so we've tried to say, of course, we did not vote with them. We voted uh, for people in Canada. But uh, you know, if we don't have a, a set of rules and if we don't um, put people first. If we're not going to continue to try to work in a cross-partisan way, um, then uh, there is there isn't much life left in this parliament. The only reason that we should have a parliament right now is to be focusing on getting people the urgent help they need. And if either the Liberals or the Conservatives or the NDP are going to make that impossible by playing these partisan games, and as I said, by you know weaponizing committees and weaponizing confidence votes um, in ways that are unprecedented. Um, you know, then the Greens uh, just, you know, simply don't want to have any part of that. So what does that mean going forward for uh, your participation or not in this strategy? Because, look, it it 
kind of worked and it may work for them again and they may try it again. Um, does this become a pattern? Are you constantly forced into this decision? Well, they said it was a one a one off. And, uh, you know, we warned them that it, it better not. Uh, well, it should never have been even in the first instance. It's not, you know, there was no agreement that, oh, well, this time it's OK, but in the future it's not. You know, we um, did support it this time. We wouldn't we don't support it the next time. Uh, and I hope that whenever we do go to the polls that uh, people in Canada send them a message. Ultimately, this is going to be down to people in Canada to decide what kind of decorum, what kind of cooperation, um, you know, what kind of uh, what kind of behavior they want to see from their parliamentarians, and also what kind of representation they deserve, because this kind of behavior is not helping one single person in Canada. This is all uh, posturing that you do when you're trying to position yourself um, to the most, you know, to the greatest advantage ahead of an election. And there are some moments in the history of a country that are supposed to transcend those kind of um, partisan concerns. Um, we are ready to work with anyone that agrees with us on that. And um, I really hope that people in Canada, when they do get the chance to vote next time, if they haven't seen that, um, will send people back to Ottawa that, that do believe that. Ms. Paul, thank you so much for your time today. Congrats uh, on your history-making win and good luck in the election and looking forward to seeing where you take the party. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Don't forget to invite me back soon. Annamie Paul, the leader of the Green Party of Canada. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. Find our inbox at The Big Story Podcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. Listen to this podcast and any other podcast on the Frequency Podcast Network at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com. And of course, in your favorite podcast player, leave us a rating, leave us a review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now.